this is Tamson Granger. This is Dan Abuhoff. But Tamson and Dan read the paper again. It's Sunday. <laughs> again. It's Sunday, March 20th. Yes. 2022. Just about the first day of spring. It is the first day of spring. Well, it's the 20th the or the 21st. Vernal equinox. Ah, the vernal equinox, yes. <laughs> Apparently took place at 11.33 this morning. Really? Yeah. Oh, really? I missed it. You know what the vernal equinox means? It means that you can spin an egg or something like that? Is that... It means there's an equal number of daylight hours and, and nighttime hours. Ah, there you go. And from here on out... There's more daylight hours. More daylight. Mm. So how cool is that? That's so... Um, a lot of birthdays this week. Oh, go ahead. Um, tomorrow, I, my grandmother, uh, Sarah Granger. Yeah, the anniversary of her birth. Yes, 133 yeah. years. Okay, good for you. And then uh, Tuesday, Sondheim. These, are, Sondheim's these, aren't, birthday. these are anniversaries. I mean, my, my uh, one day anniversary, my mother was born March 24th, 1926. Okay, so it's a lot of birthdays. The 96th anniversary. A lot of birthdays to remember this week. Yeah. And uh, I think that's kind of fun. Okay. Let's do that. All right. All right. But anyway, it's spring. What you got? You got spring anything? Spring is from NCAAs. NCAA. Well, that's that's what spring uh, this, I brings. don't really understand. It, for us, the weather's been too nice to sit inside and watch basketball. We have watched a little basketball. Um, but, you know, there's so many daylight hours you can be outside and... And watch basketball. In, in, well, right now, the basketball is all day, all night. Uh, you, you don't have to watch every game. But, but you know how I know when it's basketball, it's NCAA time? How? The peepers. The peepers? Yeah. The frogs start peeping. Yeah. Like crazy. Well, and it gets to the point, you know, some nights it will be so loud you can't hear a thing. Yeah. Because you can only hear the peepers. Yeah. Well, and that is it. That always happens to us during the Peepers NCAAs. notwithstanding, the NCAA yeah. basketball, there's nothing better than that. I mean, it, it puts the Olympics to shame. There's, there's no, there's no parallel sporting experience, honestly. And I'm yeah, you always act like it's not a big deal. I say, when are, when are the NCAA's? You say, I don't know. But I get, I'm brought in every time. So I, you know, it, it's been very exciting this year. It's very exciting. Barn burners. You, you know, you you have a team upsets. I don't care about that. But you get you root for the underdog. I don't. To me, there's no underdogs. But the the fact of the matter is, you have got 60 teams, uh, who can play. You probably have 80 teams who can play. It's not that complicated a game. And uh, that means the games are exciting, the games are competitive, and uh, frankly, there probably are 20 teams that can win the tournament. Uh, you know, and that's uh, highly competitive, highly exciting. But, you know, to me, a high point I started to tell you about last night. I'm watching this guy, Drew Timmy, who plays for Gonzaga. Gonzaga's the number one team in the country. He's... Their best player, I think, although I don't know if he's the best pro prospect. But he's sort of a big guy. He doesn't look like he's a great athlete, but he's highly skilled in the way he moves and, and the way he shoots. And uh, they're losing. They're losing by, um, I don't know, 10 or 12 points at uh, halftime uh, to a pretty good team, to Memphis. Uh, and so it's a serious situation. And apparently... Uh, well, I'm watching a game. He comes out in the second half, and he leads them like crazy. I mean, he just demands the ball every time. The first mm-hmm. 10 or 12 trips down the court, and he scores every time. He just took charge. He just took charge unbelievably. He scored the first 18 points for them in the second half. It was i never seen anything like this, especially a not a guard. The ball's not necessarily in his hands. 
and he's making crazy shots. It's bizarre. And I interviewed him after the game. And I said, I understand you gave a speech to the team at halftime. And yeah, he said, yeah. And he's kind of an odd guy, but this is exactly what I would have said. He said, he's turned to the team and he's, he's a senior. He says, I don't give a flying F what happens. What happens at the end of the game, whether we win or lose, I don't care. But we're not going out as soft guys. Leave it all on the floor. And then he comes out and leads them to victory. This is, this is it doesn't get any better than that. Sounds reminiscent of speeches uh, on Glen Road. Exactly. Yeah, down at the uh, <laughs> playground. Well, right? it's the kind of thing I've been saying as a coach. That's what I tell the guys. The guys get down, you know, and coaching this team in high school and saying, you know, forget it. I, you know, I know we're up by six, we're losing by ten. Forget it. Forget it. We're here to play ball. We're here to play ball. And this kid epitomized it. Now, whether they go on to win the tournament, I don't know. But uh, it's great stuff. Uh, it's great stuff. It's one of the best. So, um, let's see. What else have we been watching? Ah, so we got sucked into watching uh, this HBO uh, series called The Tourist, which takes place in Australia. And it's kind of an odd mystery story about a guy who uh, suffers an accident at the beginning of the show and has amnesia. And uh, much of the show becomes about trying to piece together who he really is uh, because uh, he sort of has to in order to survive the circumstances he finds himself in. Um, and, it, you know, it's, it's uh, nothing profound. But it's, um, I thought it was pretty engaging. It was a little dark. But it was a pretty well done. What do we think? There's an awful lot of blood. Yes, there is that. It's, it's just like, but it was a bit more cerebral than Reacher. That's not saying much, right? <laughs> no, it, the, I gotta say, the scenery is bleak. Yeah. It's like they're always sitting out driving. Yeah. And there's nothing for for miles. Right. Nothing for miles. Nothing for miles until it's someone nothing. says, I'm hungry, and then they turn into a huge Mexican restaurant, which right. doesn't make any sense whatsoever yeah i mean it's a, it's a big restaurant too you know with a big go, bar every time they set out to go somewhere there's nothing within view yeah and then they turn a corner and they're at uh, an airbnb yeah or you know with a really nice lady who lets them in i mean right. it just it mystifies me i'm not sure i understand australia at all but um we did get engaged and we yeah. did watch it yeah. all the way through it, yeah and uh i will tell you it's got a very high rotten tomatoes score Whatever that means, whatever that's worth. Um, star is Jamie uh, Dorman, who, as I told you, was the star of uh, Fifty Shades of Grey. So there you go. Well, maybe it's his following. I don't know. I don't know. But we didn't see Fifty Shades of Grey. He's also in Belfast, which we haven't seen, which we should see. We should see. Yes. But, uh, you know, I thought it was good, and it was even more intellectual than Reacher. <laughs> right? Well, it, in other words, it was. Uh, more believable dialogue. I will it's more say. believable. It was uh, moody, and it was, uh, but it brought you in. It brought you in, and, and it wasn't uh, straightforward. No, it's clearly not straightforward. In many, many ways, would have liked it been a little more of, straightforward. You know, both in terms of the plot, but also in terms of the character development. Right. You know, and uh, they had some interesting characters. So, yeah, yeah well, it, it tourist. Gave, it gave birth to conversations that you would say to me, like, well, what do you think is going to happen with this character? Or what do you think that character really did? Or that, you know, it was that kind of thing. So, you know, it got you thinking a little bit. Yeah. But uh, one thing we didn't see. That's was, on what, HBO? Yeah. 
HBO Max. Uh, is um, Encore's second production of the year, which uh, is uh, The Life. And um, we've been going to Encore's for years, and that's the series where they do uh, three shows a year. And they're basically uh, doing something less than full-scale revivals of musicals put on usually 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago. Uh, and it's a concert performance. They rehearse 10 days. And they're, they traditionally, they've been a lot of fun. They've right. Been great. You've been speaking about Encores just I about mean, every not week. Not everybody listens to every episode, you know. Right. We've uh-huh. got a lot of new people every every week. Really? But, but <laughs> my point is, so we went to the first one, and it was uh, the Tap Dance Kid. And it was uh, awful. And what was uh, concerning about that was that there's a new creative team at Encores. And they made certain statements, which I won't relive. Uh, about how they're turning a corner, they're going to do things differently. Uh, they've got things to say now that they weren't saying before, and uh, now you know the message is the message. And uh, it was all kind of it gave you a bad feeling though. Where are we going with this? Um, so they did the life, uh, which was not never a great musical, um, uh, but it's about prostitution. Another reason that uh, frankly is not necessarily the most popular musical in the world. Um, and uh, they did, and they got a lot of publicity for this, engage Billy Porter, who is a well-known entertainer for the purpose of uh, re-envisioning the show, or at least as he thought that's what ought to be done, uh, and, uh, and to direct it and to put it on. And there was enough in the way of the, how poor the tap dance kid was, uh, the statements of the Encore staff, and basically whatever interviews we heard with Billy Porter that we said to ourselves, you know something? No, 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 no. It wasn't no, Billy Porter? No. No, no, well, it wasn't just it, it, mainly for me. We had tickets on. Oh, oh no, no, no Saint well, Patrick's well, well, Day. Well, I, I, it, it, there's nothing. Time, 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 time. nothing let, let me finish the sentence. The, the point is that we decided not to go, so we're explaining why you didn't go. And you say it's because it was Saint Patrick's Day. Yeah, yeah I'm, not, we, I'm not going to Times Square on Saint Patrick's Day. There's something day. to that, but we arguably could have switched the tickets to a different day. Honestly, okay, but it just—it it was, was not. Um, it didn't look like it was going. To it looks like clouds on the engaging. horizon. Clouds on the horizon is the way I would put it, and uh, we thought it would be awful. And it turns out, uh, what I've been reading about it is, uh, it was awful. Um, All right. So, so, you, and your point is my point is, but but it's awful in a particular way. Okay. So here's what they say in the Times. And the Times goes out of its way to praise the stuff in Encores because they think it's creative and because they want to encourage it and they well understand you only do 10, re- 10 days of rehearsal, right? And here's what they say in a review written by a woman named Elizabeth uh, Vincentelli. She says, in case you have forgotten the premise behind Reaganomics, the musical The Life offers a primer right before a big number at the top of Act 2. It was based on the proposition that taxes on businesses should be reduced as a means to stimulate business, in, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Investment in the short-term benefits society at large in the long-term. And the time says, and five, six, seven, eight. I mean, in, in other words, it's, uh, they actually, at one point in the show, state that definition of Reaganomics, and it's stated by people who are wearing masks of Ronald Reagan and Donald Trump, all for the purpose of making a political point about how they feel that Reaganomics was a betrayal or whatever in terms of the American economic future. Um, and the Times goes on to say, uh, that doesn't work. Uh, as they put it in the headline, a redo with a heavy hand. The Times said it was terrible. You know, I, I don't have to quote it at great length there. 
uh, and it was just too heavy-handed. It was trying to put this political messaging through. It didn't succeed as theater in any way. Uh, and they get to the heart of the matter toward the end of the review, and they say, uh, for better or worse, mostly for worse, this idea of reinterpreting these shows to give some kind of uh, political message uh, whether it's worth doing, frankly, is really an open question, which is another way of saying it's not an open question. It's a mistake. Uh, for many of us, it's a long, for many of us, long-time fans of encores, it's a little sad to lose such a unique showcase because of the left turn they've made here. And, you know, another example is Theater Mania. Their headline for the review was, The Life is the New Low Bar for Encores. Porter raises and revises a not very good musical and somehow makes it even worse. And again, I, I won't quote it except they say that, uh, I, Ryuk says at one point, I watched with envy as some of the audience left at intermission. And also decries the end of Encore. Right. So, well, again, it's the big difference between uh, when they started out, they were trying to recreate the original musicals. They would dig up the original registrations. There would always be a story about how hard it was to find this and, you know, whose sock drawer it was in and, you know, and, um, you know, really try to take you to the context of the original performance. Um, And uh, this is the opposite approach, uh, reworking. Um, There's a German word for it. Oh, yeah, Rocco... um, in the New York Times uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I asked, review. Yeah, I'm going to pronounce it correctly. You ready for this? Rouge Theatre. Rouge Theatre. What? That's the I looked it up. Rouge Theatre. It's not spelled that way, but that's the way it's pronounced. Right. Yeah, I'm not sure about that. I um, look at Damson. The internet says that's the way it is pronounced. Rouge Theatre. <laughs> that's my German. Uh, the German practice of radically in- reinterpreting a play, musical, or opera has come to encores, and they say this is not right, necessarily right. So that's idea. different from, you know, uh, trying to recreate well, but, the original. But there are, there, there's two things going on here, at least two things going on, right? Uh, one is the notion that, um, that, as you say, is they're reinterpreting things. But, you know, it's not like this is a great show. It's not like we're saying, oh, they fooled around with West Side Story. They fooled around with uh, uh, the music man. How do we feel about that? No one cares if they fool around with the, the life. You can do whatever you want with that. But what's really going on is they're really elevating uh, the idea of sending some kind of political message uh, over the notion of the theatricality and whatever the theatrical virtues were of the original show. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not about entertainment. It's about making a point. And mm-hmm. the point, in this case, of the Times says is extremely heavy-handed and, frankly, isn't entertaining mm-hmm. and isn't in any way well, worthy, yeah. except that you have the message. Yeah, and uh, again, the music wasn't good. Right. Well, the music the, wasn't wasn't. The, the Times reviews as the orchestrations. Well, the redo was the redo good. orchestrations were uh, run of the mill. But but we tried to do what Porter was trying to do. He said is to make the redo orchestrations more in in tune, if you will, with what he thought was the aggrieved population in the 70s and 80s, and rather than having a Cy Coleman musical score written by Cy Coleman, uh, who wrote, wrote Sweet Charity, for example, he wanted to have a score which re- which reflected more the kind of funkadelic music of the 70s and 80s. Well, so it's even possible that's a political that could comment. have been 
done better. But anyway. Well, so, it, it, it obviously didn't work. But, but anyway, Encores was something. Yeah. I think it's run its course. Now, uh, it's only yeah, run its course because they've, it run, it in, they've no, run it into the ground. It's run its course. Why do you say it's run its course? Because they, they were already making noise that it was harder and harder to find No, I don't think. I could name do. five musicals off the top of my head that they could do. No, they, well, I'm not so sure about I'm that. sure. I can, you want, I'll give them to you. No, I don't give them to me. Okay, okay. but look, there's, here's what I think the problem is. And there's an article in the journal about uh, Peter Bogdanovich's movie, What's Up, Doc? Which is apropos of nothing, right? It was a movie with Ryan O'Neill and uh, Barbara Streisand, 1972. But they begin the article by saying, noted Hollywood producer Samuel Goldwyn purportedly once said, quote, if you want to send a message, call Western Union. In other words, you don't use a theatrical piece, be it uh, a play or be it a movie, just to send a message. That's wrong. You use a telegram for that. Uh, and, and yeah, you step I, don't, out I don't agree with that. I, I, mean, I do agree plenty, with that. Plenty of artworks send a message. No, you can send a message, but <laughs> the question is, there's nothing wrong with having that as part of what you're doing. But you cannot elevate that and justify what you're doing on the basis of the quality of the message sent or the popularity of the political uh, support for the message you sent. That is no substitute All right. if for what the you were theatrical saying, virtue of, of what you're doing. Right, right. Okay? If, it, if, it's a, if it's a lackluster... Right. Theater piece. Theater piece. Is the idea that you're, you're sending a, a message that's politically well-received is no consolation. Right. Okay, in other words, I'm not going through the Lincoln right. Tunnel for that. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's really my point in one right. sense. All right. But it would be nice, you know, what if it, uh, what if it happened to be fantastic? It, it would be great. And, and obviously, there's a lot of wonderful theatrical pieces. And then it kind of underscores your message. message. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, and, and there's it's a lot. It's not an impossible. No. There's substantive theater yeah. pieces. Most okay. theater pieces are substantive. All right. Enough about Encore. So, oh, my God. I could go on and on. And you do. Do you and want you to hear the, no. the five musicals? What five musicals? Oh, I, I don't really. Uh, you don't. Yeah. You all right. Don't. I, I, okay, I'll tell you the number. No, don't. don't. I'll tell you the number. Daniel, just go to City of Angels. Oh, please. City of Angels. Just write it down. One day they'll do it. City, City of Angels. And what else? Right, I'll, I'll think. You, you talk That's about something else. I, I didn't have them at the top I, of my I, head. The, you said three times you did. Well, I was, oh, I was bluffing. Okay? Right, anyway, let's talk about food. <laughs> All right, go ahead. Go ahead. So, you know, you, you're making me do this re- restaurant review. I thought you you described this to me. I was eager to hear more about it. It just cracked well, me Well, let's even crack anybody else up. Uh, Go okay, ahead. so um, a terrific uh, restaurant team, Jody Williams and Rita Sodi, have opened up a new place on Commerce Street in the West Village called Commerce Inn. Yeah. All right. And... Uh, it's food inspired, food and decor inspired by the Shakers. Yeah, that's insane. Okay. Insane. So, and Pete so, Wells does a review of it, and he, he says it's kind of funny because a, a lot of places, you, you open up uh, a Thai restaurant, you open up an right, Italian right. restaurant, you know, and you know you're going to have, uh, you know, people Pod Thai. of that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, if you open up a Thai restaurant, people, you know... Um, from Thailand, people who come to it. it or there's a certain like Asian it. population yeah. that you locked in, right? Yeah. All right, uh, but there's no sort of uh, existing population oh, that's going to be attracted to this right. because there are only apparently there are like three shakers left. That's what they they're said. up in Maine. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> you, you know the shakers. It was an off offshoot of Quakers, right? But with no um, reproduction. 
mm-hmm. men and women were uh, yeah they weren't into sex so I think. they weren't <laughs> so that kind of dwindles the numbers dwindle over time well you you don't have to be into sex to reproduce there, there was a kind but you got to do it I guess I, I understand I but I, I don't think they wanted uh, to do but it but no I don't know I don't know exactly what it was but apparently they like to eat yeah and uh, they had kind of, you know actually a pretty healthy diet and these they seem to think that um, it mattered what you eat. Uh, in terms of how you, you know, how well you live. Yeah. And uh, they uh, they were into bread. Yeah. Well, you know, kind of biblical thing, right? The staff of life, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, um, for example, and, uh, at, you know, at certain times in American history, bread has not been the in thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know how terrible bread got uh, in the 50s and 60s mm-hmm. in America, Wonder Bread and so on and so forth. So, and there are interesting aspects to it. Of course, um, but really, I don't know that anybody's really dying to eat shaker food, mm-hmm. all right? It's generally very simple food. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I believe in simple food. I'm just not sure if, uh, you know, New Yorkers are going to be dying to go to a restaurant that does that. So well, you they have say, to, what they kind, say the interesting thing like? about the decor. What is, what is the food like? Um, it's just like get to that in a minute. Yeah, no, you know. Um, first of all, there's the decor yeah. and the review says, this is not a place where anybody's going to want to linger. <laughs> well, that's negative. <laughs> I mean, because it's very simple. It's very yeah. severe. Yeah. You know, it's not cozy and comfy. Right. And, uh, the, they have banquets, they have like, um, deuces, banquets for two, right. like booths. Right. And they have, they are singular wooden Pew benches. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you're sitting in this wooden pew bench mm-hmm. that's shortened for one person. Right. And very simple stools, etc. and so forth. It says this is this is not going to be really a date night special. And in fact, in part in one of the rooms they say they're um, they say candles burn in the tavern windows, but not in the dining room, where flickering shadows might help dispel the Protestant severity. Um, so this is all not uh, seemingly very sexy. So I'm holding up before you my own shaker cookbook. Yeah. Yes. Um, which uh, I must I apparently bought during the 70s. Mm-hmm. Okay. And it was first published in the 50s. All right. So uh, this goes way back. And uh, I, you know, I used to make out of this cookbook something called Sally Lund bread, mm-hmm. which is originally English. And it's kind of a rich bread, sort of like brioche, right. uh, but it heavier than brioche. And I thought it was darn delicious. Uh, and it should be, it has a whole cup of butter in it mm-hmm. and uh, a bunch of eggs and six cups of flour. Sounds a little heavy to me now, mm-hmm. but that was back in the day. But let me read to you an early shaker recipe for bread. Bring in from the spring house a quart of liquid yeast left over from yesterday's baking. Mm-hmm. Mix with half a cup of salt, a cup of sugar, a cup of butter, and enough warm milk to fill a gallon crock. Set near the fire to keep warm while you sift the flour into the dough tray, a peck and a half of the best wheaten flour. Make a well in the center of the flour, pour in the yeast mixer, knead until it no longer sticks to your hands, add flour if necessary. Cover with a clean cloth, put lid on the dough tray, and shove it near a low fire for the night. For the night? For the night! 
I'm just amazed you have a shaker cookbook. I don't, to me, shakers... Who would have a shaker cookbook, you know? I mean, so it's funny. So I'm not excited about the food at this restaurant, and yet, historically, I have been excited by shaker food. I mean, shaker food comes from all over, basically. All right, so there's something to it. There's something to it. Yeah, they say in here, he he recommends uh, the meat. He's up and down with it. He likes well, he says some of the meat's very good. The shaker baked beans, yeah. uh, he likes. They're very sweet. I wouldn't like it. He mentions spoon bread. Yeah. Now, I have made you eat spoon bread. They haven't made meat. If you make it, it's pretty good. It's it is good. And, he, and it's easy to make. The, in the article, they, keep, they even show a picture of it. They say it's between pudding and cake. Mm-hmm. Not really. It's it's like a savory souffle. It's more. Um, it's more between. Uh, it's it's more between it's, like it's polenta pudding. and it's, a yeah, yeah. and a souffle. Polenta okay. is close. Uh, it, it's a very. Is a little light. It's kind of a yeah. corn yeah. bread pudding. Yeah. And uh, you eat it with a little bit of stewed tomatoes on the top it's, or it, something like that. Oh, it's yeah. a little like between polenta and cornbread. I would say. How's that? Yeah, yeah, but it's light, fluffy. You yeah. make it with eggs. It's not it, it, super light. It's not souffle-like. It's yeah. pretty light. Yeah, the way I make it, it's really light. Oh, of course. And this, and and there are a couple of great desserts. Yeah, that he mentions: uh, ginger cake and pear date pudding, yeah. which seem impossibly heavy. Who would want them? Once they come to the table, nobody can live without them. Okay. Okay. So it's uh, it's Yankee food. Again, I'm not sure this is really... Look, we're all dying to have Yankee food. I, I, I don't know. I think my impression, I read the review and I heard you discuss it. And I don't think people, anyone who reads that review on Balance is going to that restaurant. How's that? Yeah, which is hilarious yeah. because there are other restaurants. Or like super William's popular. Bouvet. Bouvet is unbelievable. He's a charming little Bouvet, French place. You, you never want to leave. Uh, here, here's the deal. Yeah. There's nobody, there's nobody who is as immune to charm as I am, let alone French charm. Totally immune. And Bouvet is fantastic. Right. All right? Yeah. So there you go. Um, These people so know what they're doing. It's really, I mean, visually, I'm sure it looks stunning, but it's not a comfort yeah. place. Yeah. Striking. All right. So here's a restaurant you don't want to go to or don't have to go to. All right, so here's the opposite of uh, shaker food. But it's also food I don't want to eat. Yeah. Oh, by the way, I th- I'm th- meanwhile, I'm writing down shows they could do. How about Shenandoah? No, 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 no. Shenandoah? No, no, no Shen- come on. They, they've done revivals of Shenandoah. We've been so. to them, I no. think. How yeah. about the unsinkable Molly Brown? No, come yes. on. Move along. <laughs> All right, yeah. so back to food. So there's an article about Entenmann's in the Times. Entenmann's. A, recalling a sweet slice of Long Island life. I, I'm familiar with Entenmann's, and you are, you're familiar too. And uh, this is by Dan Barry, and he's talking about growing up in Long Island and going to the Entenmann's thrift store, and they would always have things like old butter loaf cake, or, you know, the kind of names that you'd expect. So it's a commercially produced uh, yeah. baked goods. Right. And, and commercially produced baked goods is, is, is a fair description. Um and it was fantastic, the banana crunch cake, blah, blah, blah. And But, you know, it's pleasant memories. And he's joking about the fact that, you know, in his household, at least, it dressed, it dressed the kitchen up. It wasn't like they were embarrassed to serve Entenmann's. They would have the package there and say, we can afford Entenmann's. Entenmann's is high-quality stuff. Although he does take the time to mention that it was filled with chemicals. 
sodium propionate, sorbitin monosterate, polysorbate 60, blah, 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 right, blah, right, blah. Right, right, right. That's why we love all that wonderful. stuff. That's yeah, why maybe. you love devil dogs. That's yeah. why you love Twinkies. Yeah, why? Well, That's why you love Sarah Lee. Yes, but okay. I will tell you, I grew up in Long Island, so I feel that I'm, I'm able to speak to this. Uh, in my household, we did not honor Entenmann's. Entenmann's was around. Uh, people were um, highly aware of Entenmann's. Uh, but, but, uh, hold on for a second. That was not the place. The place that uh, my mother would always talk about uh, when somebody said something about Entenmann's was she would say, no, no, Ebinger's. And we would say, Ebinger's, Entenmann's, isn't it kind of the same thing? And at some point, I guess we fell into thinking that they were, that Entenmann's had acquired uh, Ebinger's. And the answer is, that is not true. I looked up Ebinger's. And what my mother would go on about Ebinger's was, she would say, uh, they have something called the blackout cake at, uh, at Ebinger's that nobody can touch. And wh- who, who are these people with this Entenmann stuff? Uh, and it turns out maybe she was right. It, uh, Entenmann's has a long history. Goes back a hundred years, but they weren't putting a polysorbitate in there a hundred years ago. They were different. But there were several bakeries in the Brooklyn area. Uh, Eminger started in 1898. They were competitors, if you will. Um, and they are the ones who, who developed um, this blackout cake. Uh, they had 200 varieties of German pastry. They were very popular, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but it's a cake. You'll be interested in this. It's a combination of uh, a three-tier devil food cake with layers of chocolate pudding and chocolate frosting topped with cake crumbs. Now, we've talked about that before, pudding in cake. Yeah. That sounds like a good idea, doesn't it? Well, yeah. I didn't grow up with that, but I guess uh, you people in the North did. Well, yes. So my mother would worship this thing, and every once in a while, some relative would actually bring the blackout cake from Ebinger's. And my mother would go crazy. And the truth is, it was pretty good. No, but it, was it the same kind of company with the large production rate? Or no, was no, it, no, was no. It bakery. What, it was the bakery. And the fact, no, this is, I'm sorry, Ebinger's, not Edmonds. Right. Ebinger's went out of business. They were, they were supplanted or beat out by the mass-produced places like Edmonds. They didn't mass-produce like Edmonds. So Ebinger's went out of business in the 70s. Okay. All right. A lot of because, bakeries have gone out because of they hewed to this natural ingredients, doing their own stuff, not right. uh, okay. not doing the mass production. Oh. So that's that's where I come from. All right. That's the kind of upbringing <laughs> I had. It wasn't intimate with the chemicals and the funny uh, Danish or something like that. All it right. was. Uh, so in other words, this, this this article was lost on you. No, no. The real point is that the next time you make a cake, I think you should think about. It. There are many recipes floating around the internet. For the Avengers, sometimes it's called the Brooklyn Blackout Cake. Yeah, yeah, people get nostalgic about some of that well, stuff. When you know, I used to listen to Arthur Schwartz. That's the kind of thing yes. people call up and I talk see. about. That's with exactly. Schwartz. That's right you know, in his bailing. The, I'm sure I, you know, before you even said it, I know it's going to be the Blackout Cake. And, yeah, uh, yeah. All right. I can remember the box. Very nice. Very classy. <laughs> From Brooklyn. Yes, with a little plastic window on the top. Oh. Unbelievable. All right. Well, in any event. But they didn't have... This guy was really in love with the um, outlet store. 
Yeah, all right. She's in love with the outlet store. But, you know, it, it's one uh, mediocre pastry after another. I can't get excited. But it's just, look, whatever you grow up with, you there grow up with. There is something wonderful about what those chemicals do to cake. Well, they probably do something for your psyche, yeah. too. I mean, uh, it certainly makes them last longer. There's a particular sort of texture to it, I yeah. think. Softness and moistness. But listen, yeah. I've eaten my share of Entenmann's. <laughs> but Entenmann's made coffee cake. Uh, amateurs did not. My father purchased many Entenmann's coffee cake. Right? Okay. I'm totally uh, conversant with that. A little scary to think about. Yeah. Well, it's out of my system by now. Hopefully. Yeah. All right. So not out of my system is Lupin. Yes. One of my favorite series. Yes, very smooth. Uh, yeah. Series, it's one of those French shows. Um, and uh, there have been two seasons, right? Right. Then the good news is they're working on a third. Yes. But uh, with uh, life imitating art on the set, uh, Lupin suffered a... Um, Lupin... Uh, they... There was a, a um, what do you call it, a robbery yeah. on the set. A heist. 20, 20 hooded thieves threw fireworks at the people and ran in and <laughs> threw fireworks at the third, people. Threw fireworks at the people. That's what that's what it said in the paper. Yeah. And ran in and stole over three hundred thousand dollars worth of equipment. See, that sounds like Lupin itself. People yeah. in hoods. Yeah. With fireworks, you know, yeah. kind of a bold. Heist like that? They were arrested. There were, there were 20. They say the, the thieves were between the ages of 13 and 21. I don't know yeah. how All right. they ascertained that. But they've arrested seven so far. No yeah. one was injured. No one was injured. Of course no, not. No. There was also a um, an incident uh, at uh, on the set of uh, The Crown in oh, really? South Yorkshire. Really? <laughs> Only this time they weren't stealing... The equipment mm-hmm. they stole two hundred over two hundred antique props. Really, that's the difference between I guess Lupin and the well, crown. The crown could have obviously valuable stuff. You know? I don't know antiques. That's just so cute. That's just so yeah. so British, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Maybe they don't even have expensive equipment. I don't know, but uh, different kind of thieves. Yeah, different kind of thieves. Right. All right, so. How about some skiing? Well, I mean, I just noticed this, you know, when we last left Michaela Schifrin, you know, she was the sad story of the Olympics. And it was like every two days she was on the slopes. She was, everyone said she's a great skier. And she was crashing, crashing, crashing. And she didn't win a single medal. She, she looked awful. And it was... Well, it was sad. It was sad. Yeah, I'm not saying it wasn't. It was awful. And she, it was awful. She left at, in, and then she gave all these awkward interviews. Uh, she was an abject failure in the eyes of the commentators, or they tried to. They talked about uh, mental illness or something like that, or pressure, and they tried to rationalize it in some way. But there was never much of an explanation, and she just seemed like an incredible failure. Well, it turns out for those of us paying attention, I don't pay too much attention to skiing, but the Times does, and there's an article saying, uh, "Guess what? Michaela Schifrin uh, just won her fourth uh, World Cup title because she's been skiing very well since the Olympics." And you're going, really? And they talk about this great race that she went and she won. And, uh, you know, she's uh, back on the beam. Everything's cool. Uh, life is good, according to McKella. And, um, and, and you're saying, well, that's good. But 
what happened before or do we not worry about it? And she, she spoke to it. She said, look, some days it doesn't work out. In my case, it happened to be at the races that most people watch every four years. Uh, no more complicated than that. It doesn't define what's happened in my past. It doesn't define what's going to happen in the future. It was an honest failure. And we don't have to overanalyze that. I think she's probably right. Those are her words. Yeah, yeah I mean, uh, yeah, yeah. She says, look, on top of everything else, I'm proud that I got up, uh, got back up at the Olympics and raced and never stopped trying. Yeah. You know, so there you go. Yeah. Uh, but it's, you know, in the most of America's view, and they're not going to hear of Michaela Schiffrin ever again after the Olympics. And it was just, she's, you know, the poor little rich girl who had a tough time at the Olympics. But, uh, you know, uh, she's got her own perspective and she lived to race another day. Okay. All right. So we feel good about that, right? Yeah. Well, it's kind of, we do, it is unrealistic to form everything we think about all these athletes right. based on the 20 minutes we see of them yeah. every four years. Well, and also based yeah. on their winning or losing. I mean, you just, it, it yeah. goes back, it all goes back to this guy Timmy who plays for uh, right. Gonzaga. You just go out, you leave it on the field. And that's what you do. All right? Okay. So I assume you're not reading much lately. I don't, I don't see you doing any reading. That's not entirely true, but I'm not doing as but much. But I can't ask you what you're reading because you never seem to know. Oh, I, I can tell you, but go ahead. Go ahead. I'm, I'm still reading this book on story, which is an unbelievable okay. book. All right, but you don't know who wrote it. <laughs> you like to ask me about it when I don't have it in no, front no, of no. you. No, I no, I, I said I wasn't going to ask you because you don't okay. know. You said I know, and I, now it, yeah, I okay. think it's Robert McAfee or something like that. <laughs> it's cold story. I'll tell you while you go on. Okay. Um, I, I myself yeah. am working on uh, more by the author of Dublin Trilogy. Right. If you, well, I'm reading that too. Yeah, that is hilarious. Well, there's four books, even though it's a trilogy. No, the, no, there's like, no, there's a zillion books. In fact, I just was looking. I was just looking it up, and uh, the first thing that came up was Dublin trilogy, uh, books one through six that you can buy. All right, oh so God. That, that would seem to say there are at least six. Yeah. But um, story, by the way, is by Robert McKee. Okay. McKee. Yeah. Story by Robert McKee. It's fantastic. How to write a story? It's about how to write a screenplay, but it's about so much more than that. I couldn't. One day I'll speak to that. I won't do it okay. today. Okay. All right. Um, anyway, the Dublin trilogy is hilarious. It's written by an Irishman, Cueve McDonnell. Um, it has this wonderful main character threaded through most of the books, Bunny McGarry. And it's just, uh, the dialogue is just. Hilarious, and it's a police uh, yeah. murder. Bunny's you know. sort of a tough guy. Bunny's not. Bunny's a super tough guy. Yeah, right. He's a super tough. We guy. We don't want to mislead people here. But he's uh, he's no reacher. He's an interesting guy. No, no, no. <laughs> you know? well, he's, he's a. There's only uh, one reacher test. But he's also. But he he is invincible. Yeah. You know, he's somewhere between I don't know reacher and uh, Longmire. You know, but okay. with a fantastic. Irish sense of self and sense of humor. Mm -hmm. um, so that's the Dublin trilogy. And uh, I'm now into the stateside stories where Bunny actually ends up in the U.S. for a while mm -hmm. and uh, confronts all kinds of uh, problems like the lack of decent tea mm -hmm. and so on. So, so that's kind of, you know, that's a nice uh, escape. But um, I'm thinking of uh, reading this book that was reviewed in the New York Times book review section um, called 
A Molecule Away from Madness, mm-hmm. Tales of the Hijacked Brain by Sarah Manning Peskin. Mm-hmm. And it's about mental illness. Mm-hmm. And the first story that's, uh, that the uh, reviewer, Annie Murphy-Paul, quotes uh, from the book is a story of a, a very young woman, college graduate. She comes home... Uh, uh, from college, she's living at home, um, uh, working on her short stories she's writing, and binge-watching The Walking Dead. Mm-hmm. And one day, she gets up and then just goes back to bed. Mm-hmm. And uh, then she you know, she gets worse and worse. She's able to do less and less, running a fever, unsteady on her feet. Mm-hmm. They take her to a doctor. Uh, she attacks the doctor. Mm-hmm. She attacks her mother. She attacks the nurse, um, and then uh, starts yelling, "Don't you see it? She's a walker!" And somebody realizes she's kind of. She thinks she's living in The Walking Dead. Yeah, she's a character in The right? Walking Dead. No. Okay, so so you know, uh, one of the attendants says, "What is she on PCP or something?" Mm-hmm. And it turns out, no, no. Um, her own body was producing a molecule that generated a ser- similar effect. A tumor growing on her right ovary had stimulated her immune system to produce millions of antibodies, which mistakenly attacked crucial receptors in her brain. All right, uh, The very molecules that make our brains work can also co-opt our personalities and destroy our ability to think. Mm-hmm. All right. So in this particular case, once the tumor was removed, uh, she slowly regained uh, her touch with reality. Mm-hmm. And so anyway, um, the author, uh, the book talks about four different character categories of molecular villains. Mutants, which are altered DNA sequences, they give rise to Huntington's disease and and frontotemporal dementia. Rebels are aberrant proteins, uh, like the one that uh, caused this woman's psychosis. Uh, Invaders are foreign substances, like environmental toxins, illicit drugs, and pharmaceuticals, um, uh, things like um, mercury, toxicity from mercury. Mm -hmm. And then uh, finally, um, evaders, Mm -hmm. which are... What happens when essential components like vitamins can wreak havoc when they go missing? Uh, You noticed a little um, quip mentioning that a thiamine deficiency, for example, can lead to the development of Korsakoff's syndrome, one symptom of which is confabulation. Mm -hmm. Sufferers make up fantastical stories, believing them to be true. Yeah. So, so, so then we're wondering, well, you know, um, we know some people who tell big fibs yeah. or exaggerate yeah. are, you know, are they just exaggerating or are they suffering well, from know. Korsakoff's yeah. syndrome? Well, we're, we're just uh, yeah. being goofy about that. Anyway, what, uh, so, um, what's interesting about this review is that the reviewer goes on to say, um, this writer is a dazzling stylist and a compassionate observer. 
Um, and it's really a book worth reading. Right. Well, and it's not very long. It's like 200 pages. Well, you know, is it, what's the name of the book again? A Molecule Away from Madness yeah. by Sarah Manning Peskin. Yeah, she said it's a thin volume. Um yeah, I mean, you know, it's funny. By Quince, there was an article. Uh, well, there's another article about another book uh, called "Truly Madly" about Vivian Leigh and Laurence Olivier. Called Vivian Leigh, Laurence Olivier, and the Romance of the Century. Of course, the great actors. Um, and they talk about the Vivian Leigh in the book, um, and uh, she had a great career. She won two Oscar for Best Actress, um, but. Uh, she was uh, treated for bipolar-induced psychosis, uh, and which included electroshock treatments. And she spent three weeks uh, in a medically-induced coma. This is in the, in the middle of her career. She didn't live that long. She lived to her mid-50s or something like that. She died of tuberculosis. But she was always considered a difficult person, an impossible person. But in retrospect, people would say she suffered from mental illness and the serious side effects of this, so much so... That they tell a story about in 1961, she's at uh, some celebration of Gone with the Wind, where she starred as Scarlett O'Hara. Movies made like 39 or something. So this this places her in her late 40s. She's not that old woman. And for this appreciation, she's sitting next to Olivia de Havilland, watching, who of course was in the movie, watching the film Gone with the Wind. And she starts trembling, and she turns to Olivia de Havilland and says, "I don't remember any of this. Didn't remember being in the movie." Right. So you know, I mean, the mind is. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, these are these are different uh, issues. But uh, well, it, they're different issues, but it, yeah. there's so much mystery in, in, in terms of yeah. the mind and, and, and yeah. the way it operates. And, well, and it just uh, again, it was uh, tough that she went through life with people thinking she was just a jerk. Yeah. Uh, when really, maybe if she'd had well, they thought frankly she some was, kind of treatment. They thought she was a prima donna. Yeah. But she was really kind of out of her mind. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, uh, there are a lot of examples. Well, listen, if this woman writes lucidly about stuff like this and the book you're talking about, it'll be quite interesting. Yeah, I think so. Because uh, this is difficult stuff. Thiamin can make you tell stories. Yeah, it's just crazy. Or lack of thiamin, yeah. you know. Um, all right. So I, I know you've had iron pour blood recently. I'm wondering, you know, What's if that's cool? causing any of your... You know, mental uh, aberrations. I'm, I'm on top of my game then. Oh, really? It, okay. it would almost be unfair if I had the right amount of iron for other people. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm going to have to get back to basketball. You know, the other thing about the basketball tournament, it gets me out there shooting baskets. And you've still got it. That's I've what still, I've heard that's, that's from a lot, you. A lot of people. <laughs> well, you would think since I'm coaching high school basketball, I would identify with the coaches, but I identify with the players. That's how out of it I am. That's how much thiamine induced problems I have. Okay. All right. Gotcha. Yeah. All right. All right. So until next time, this is Dan Abuhoff. And Tamsin Granger with Tamsin and Dan Read the Paper. Adios.